0: By reading a passage in the Gospel of Mark, a group of Pharisees had come north to Galilee, and they were interviewing Christ. They were challenging him. They were looking for a means in which they could discredit him. He realized what was going on, as he always did, Uh, quite uh, expectedly, since he was, in fact, the second person of the Trinity. He saw through their duplicity, and he makes a very scathing indictment of them. Starting at verse 8 in Mark chapter 7, he says, Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is given to God. Sorry, mom. Sorry, Dad, I've already given this to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. There is a false piety here. Uh, It illustrates... Something that uh, Luther writes in his commentary in Galatians, he says, All mischief, and he doesn't mean pranks, he means bona fide evil, begins in the name of God. And in fact, you see that here. This was said to a group of Pharisees. Very likely, some of them knew a man that we know formerly as Saul of Tarsus, now as Paul who was a Pharisee himself, like them, also centered out of Jerusalem. Years later, when Paul is going to write to Timothy, he's going to address the issue, and it's the issue that Rodney asked me to speak on this morning, and that's the issue of the care of aged parents. I would probably not have chosen this topic myself as I find myself right in that group Not too long ago, a guy I think was trying to be complimentary, and he looks at me and he says, you know, they say the last thing to go is strength. I wasn't sure whether to uh, risk disqualification as an elder by punching him (laughs) (laughs) or to accept as what I think he meant it as a compliment. Uh, But I find myself there, and I think the rest of us are as well. Let me see the number of you, a show of hands, How many of you have adult parents still living over the age of 60? Okay. Now the other question is, how many of us here are adult parents over the age of 60 that have adult children? This is where we're living, right? The question of the morning is, what's our responsibility As adult children of older parents, how do we handle that? What do we do? And then Rodney also asked me if I could address the topic, how do we as older parents, and I have to put myself in that group, unfortunately, uh, deal with or accept when our children feel they need to provide help to us? Now, that can come way too early. I think uh, my kids for years have felt like maybe they should take away dad's license. (laughs) But we're not going to let it happen. (laughs) So, there is a text that we're going to be looking at this morning. I always pray for this technology to work right. 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 8. We're going to have on the screen the NASB. Uh, If you also have with you the ESV, uh, either on your phone or in hard copy, have that open as well. There are phrases here that are perhaps clearer, perhaps with a little more pungency uh, in the ESV, but we'll look first to the NASB. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, They must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. He goes on to write, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God, And continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith And is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we are not going to look at every aspect of this text. We're going to focus on what it says in regard to the question what is our responsibility to our older parents? How do we as older parents learn to accept help or assistance? We're going to start off with three questions. We're going to actually use a method that will raise uh, the questions to consider. Then we'll look to the scripture. Then we'll apply the principles. Three questions. Guilt, legitimate, or otherwise for how we have treated or are treating our relatives. This crops up quite a bit in our Alzheimer's ministry. Our Alzheimer's support ministry, you may not be aware of this, Uh, But for approximately the last 14 years, Grace Church has had a ministry directing the care to families where someone is going through the process of dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, Rodney used to come and provide assistance and care with regards to one of the men in our church who at that time was in the process of going through Alzheimer's. The question seems to arrive in that regard did I do enough? Should I have done more? Sometimes this guilt can be manipulated, even by the person who's going through the process of aging. Sometimes it arises without justification, people wanting to think that they did everything and maybe not sure that they did. And sometimes it is, in fact, legitimate. The second question. Should we take an elderly relative into our home? This is something but that makes the road. We did, and we had to wrestle with and think through what the right solution was. Should we take an elderly relative into our home? Should someone in full-time ministry quit that position in order to care for an older relative? At this point, I know of at least a pastor left or, a position of ministry precisely, specifically and solely, at least on the record, for this reason, to provide care for an elderly parent. We also know of at least one missionary who has addressed this issue. Uh, there may have been other issues with that individual's life. But uh, he and his wife are no longer on the field precisely because of this question. So these three questions will crop up again and again and again as we consider the issue of the responsibility we have to older parents. Now, how are we going to wrestle with this? We're going to consider a methodology that says, what action does the scripture call for? We've already seen a passage that tells us what the Lord condemns, a bogus piety that does nothing. And we've also looked at a passage that tells us what the right thing to do is. What action does the Scripture call for? We're going to see three uh, actions that the Scripture does require, Scripture does indicate should be taken. Perhaps more significantly, We're also going to ask the question, why are we to take those actions? You know, the who, what, when, where, why method. We're looking at what is called for. Why are we called for this, to do this? If we understand the why, it makes the action more palatable. Particularly, moms and dads, if we understand the why our kids are called to take this action, it'll be a little bit more easy to find ourselves in that role, or so I tell myself. Why are we to take those actions? What are our motivations? The third part, we've heard three questions. Now, how do we apply those principles? What do we do with this? Put it all together. What's the course of action that we want to take? So we have the method of what? does the scripture call for? Why are we to do that? And then how does it fit together? So that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, it's always helpful to give a roadmap early on so that people do not lose a certain level of hope. <laughs> Practice piety. First thing that we want to do. First Timothy 5.8 says in the ESV verse 4, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness. Now, the word that is used there, usabeo, is used one other time in the New Testament. That word is used in Acts 17.23, where it is actually translated worship. Now, Paul is not saying We need to worship our parents or our ancestors. Don't let anybody ever suggest anything like that. But he is saying in our interaction with our parents, sometimes our grandparents, the older ones, we need to demonstrate godliness. We need to demonstrate in the NASB true piety, a lifestyle that demonstrates our personal intimate relationship, our knowledge of God and His ways, the triune God, and the directions given to us. The second thing we are told we need to act in a manner that makes some return. you see this four? four? If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. Some return to their parents. The word is used, apodomai. This word, literally, when you look at its meaning, it connotes, it demonstrates, it gives the concept of the idea of repaying an obligation. What are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that when we were young, any parent who has raised a child from infancy up through what we call adolescence, through all of the aspects of school, through all of the aspects of higher education, walking him or her down the aisle, uh, having helped them to meet a prospective mate, we know that there has been time and there has been money invested in that child, and there should be. The scripture elsewhere says that parents are to provide for their children. But this text also indicates that there needs to be some return. And the idea, again, is the repayment of an obligation, the repayment of that, realizing that there has been this investment on the part of our parents into our lives, and we need to act properly and recognize that it needs to guide to a great degree some of our conduct. So, okay, we do act in a way that repays the investment that has been made to us. Now, the text also tells us there is one other thing that needs to be done. And here we go to that verse... And I think if we had the opportunity to uh, edit the Scripture, an ungodly concept to be sure, uh, we probably would uh, remove this verse. Verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now the word there that is used to... For the concept of provide, the Greek word is prono eo. It is also used in 2 Corinthians 8, 21. where it is translated, have regard for. Put another way, the requirement is administrative. To administratively arrange. Now, let me illustrate the point that I'm talking about. The most recent missions conference that we had here at Grace Community Church provided hairstyling and cuts for the wives of the missionaries. Now, what we did not do was to set up a row with Mark Tatlock, Rodney Anderson, George Crawford, Brad Armstrong, Irv Busnitz, and all of the other elders in ECHO and GMI We didn't set up a row with them each having their own chair in front of them, their own hairstyling equipment, and have the women get in line and take the next one that comes down. Rightly, we should shudder at the mere thought of what the result of that would have been. What we did is administratively we arranged for some people who knew what they were doing to be here and to provide those services. That's the concept. Now, that will tell you, those uh, the more perceptive among you, uh, where we're heading on this, uh, but it really is what the text connotes. We're to take administrative thought in the area of making provision for the older parents the older ones among us okay three basic ideas take administrative thought and prepare to provide second obligation demonstrate to true godliness act like god does in the care of his people as we move into the role of caring for adult parents that's the what now the why time permitting we'll walk through approximately 10 reasons the text itself gives us five immediately upon the face I don't think this is going to work but I'll try it then there are five other principles that the scripture makes very clear also come to bear on this particular topic. The first reason, this is in the sight of God. Verse 4 again, for this is in the ESV, pleasing in the sight of God. We understand the idea of pleasing. God looks at this. He sees it. The omniscient, omnipresent God who knows everything paradoxically dwells with us when we truly come to a time of worship. That God sees how we treat our older parents. This is in the sight of God. We were driving to church this morning, and my wife mentioned that this room in our house was acceptable. And this room in our house was acceptable. What does we mean by that? It measures up to standards. Okay? Both concepts should be understood as being present in this passage. We want to measure up to the standard that God expects of his people. And we also want to be pleasing in his sight, how we treat each other. Motivation number one, it's in the sight of God. We want to be acceptable And we want to be pleasing. Second, now this is somewhat of a review of just a few minutes ago, but it bears uh, noting. There is the idea of repaying an obligation owed. Again, we pay our debts. Romans 13 tells us that we are to leave no debt outstanding other than the ongoing debt of love. We pay our debts. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. The text tells us it is to be proscribed or commanded, if you're looking at the ESV. It's optional. <laughs> this is not optional. The text uses the word Paragello. Uh, again, the idea is that this is to be commanded. This is not something that we have the option of ignoring. Well, if I feel like it, I'll go see what dad's doing and see if he needs any help. It allows us to come down. It is, in fact, a command. Fourth reason. And we see this. Verse 7 from the ESV, command these things as well. Why? So that they may be without reproach. Now that same word, we see that same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, two chapters earlier, when it says the elders must be above reproach. It does not mean that they will never make any mistakes. It does not mean that they will never struggle with sin in their own lives. It does mean that they live in such a way that it is well to lay charges against them that will hold up when carefully and impartially examined. The idea here, the same standard that is expected of elders is also expected of all of us as we consider providing care when care needs to be provided for our older parents. If this, this is you, to it, it me, to me to even think so. But we struggle with this at times. We want to be sure that we are acting in a manner that is above reproach. From the same text, to avoid a practical denial Of the faith. He who has denied the faith, and we're at that verse again. He who does not provide for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This particular word, our Naomi, is used something like thirty times in the New Testament. This is the word that is used of Peter's denial of Christ. It invariably connotes a public statement to some extent. Now, it's possible, it's highly possible for us to live lives of practical atheism. What do I mean by that? We live in a manner that is inconsistent with our claim to know Christ, to believe in the biblical God of the Bible. But it's worse than that. If we live in that manner, the scripture is telling us that it is, in fact, a public denial of the word of God, a public denial of our relationship with Christ that we claim. We don't want to be in that way. The last thing in the world, I believe, that any of us want to do is to ever come close in our conduct to denying the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again for us, who lives with us each day. We do not want to live in such a manner as would publicly deny him. And yet that is a point of caution the text tells us that we need to consider. But wait, there's more. As we hear on the infomercials. Tonight you're going to be hearing from Mike Riccardi a sermon on the dignity of man having been created in the image of God. One of the reasons that we a lifestyle caring and caring for our parents is that they have been created in the image of God. This is also one of the reasons that we are diligent to provide care for young children. Young children have also been created in the image of God. If we do not look out for their welfare, we're denying the dignity of that status. Same thing is true of parents. Three times in Genesis 1:26 through 27, it says children have been created, people have been created by God in the image of God children as well as parents leviticus 1932 implementing the reality of that creation in the image of god moses writes you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged." why underlying that is a reverence for your god i am the lord you shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, fleshing out the idea of being created in the image of God, 2018, the statement on social justice and the gospel uh, was issued. It is a document that really deserves careful study and far more publicity within the church than it has received. Second article: We affirm that God created every person equally in His own image. As divine image bearers, all people have inestimable value and dignity before God, and deserve honor, respect, and protection. Everyone has been created by God and for God, and we live out that recognition in we in the care that we provide to our older aging parents. He goes on to say, we deny that God-given roles, socioeconomic status, and that would include age, ethnicity, religion, sex or physical condition or any other property of a person either negates or contributes to that individual's worth as an image bearer of God. So we honor, we care for the older believers among us precisely because they've been created in the image of God. We do so in a manner that acknowledges and is consistent with God's sovereignty over life life of aging. You have in the screen in front of you Revelation one eighteen. At that point, the Lord says to John... The apostle, he says, the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. From life's first cry to final death, final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He is the one who controls life and death Anytime you consider the possibility of suicide or you're talking with someone who is doing so, remember, we do not want to ever usurp the authority that Christ has over life. second so in the 1,400 years or so uh, between the time of flood and the time of Moses, there was a 92% approximately 92% decline, decrease in the average longevity. You look at the times of life described before the flood. You have guys who were living 900 years, 700 years, whatever it was. If you start and you look at the maximum length, that of Methuselah, and then you compare that with a number we read in Psalm 90. Well, the text says the average span of life is three score and ten, and if by strength they live longer, that strength to them becomes a process of weakening. Having hit the big seven zero not too long ago myself, uh, I've been punching with that since then, and realizing that I need to keep trusting God to keep going. He is the one who's in charge, and in some cases, as we know, and as we were talking about this morning. We have believers among us who last well into the mid 90s. But God himself is the one who supervises and controls the longevity of each individual. It's not our job to say, you know, maybe we should help hurry it up a little bit. Painfully we sometimes can catch ourselves thinking like that. One of the uh, promises in the next psalm 91:16 with a long life, I will satisfy Him, God's promise to his godly. The tendency is God tends to provide longer life, very often the case, to those who know Him and who trust Him. Some of us have had incredible accidents that uh, normally would have killed a person, and God has allowed us to live through them and continue to honor and serve Him. We know that. So we honor older relatives within our family in a manner that is consistent with, acknowledges God's sovereignty over life and death. Consistent with God's protection of his people is also his material provision for his people. Much of the reason that we find in pagan cultures for not caring for the elderly is a concern for, when you look at it closely, the problem that comes into existence in Genesis chapter 3, and that is the problem of scarcity, economic scarcity, caused by the fall. I'm a for my wife and my kids, how am I ever going to consider Providing some funds to help care for, fill in the blank. We know, Second Corinthians nine, and eight, God is able to make all grace abound so that you're adequate, complete, lacking nothing, and equipped for every good work. We know that God will provide for his people. We see the same thing in Matthew chapter six, verses twenty-five through thirty-four. Seek these things first. Your father who knows what you need will provide for what is needed. God will always provide his people what they need when they are walking in obedience, when they are trusting him. Spurgeon made the comment, the Lord's work done in the Lord's way will never lack the Lord's provision. I think that may actually be more accurately attributed to Hudson Taylor. Nonetheless, it doesn't matter who said it. It is true. So in a manner consistent with God's material provision for his people, we trust him and we move on. The scarcity should not be a barrier to caring for our older relatives. The next reason, in clear contrast to pagan cultures... Why is that significant? Philippians 2.15 says that we need to live in a manner that is contrasting to the culture of our time. He says you need to live so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. One of the strongest continuing characteristics of pagan cultures is a disdain and disregard, again, often due uh, to economic concerns for the older and the younger. We find this. Uh, archaeologists know that uh, if they find an archaeological dig site, uh, a collection of infant baby-boy Bones, very likely they are in the location of a brothel. The girls would have been trained until they could work in a particular endeavor they didn 't have any use for the boys. Get rid of them. The continent of India has, has had, had a practice a case it it. Uh, at the time of Alexander the Great. It continued until the time of William Carey, the great missionary. One of the great things about him, and it demonstrates that godly missionaries whose primary focus is the gospel can also take action to address social evils. It was Carey who led the fight to stop this practice. The practice is referred to as sati. If you're spelling it, if you're taking notes, it's spelled S-A-T-I. So T would take a woman who's dealing with the grief of having her husband just die, drug her, put her on the funeral thing. pier to be burned alive. You take care of the problem. You don't have to feed granny anymore. Best we can tell, just based on the numbers that took place over a particular period of time when Carrie was fighting against this practice, if we extrapolate it back over the course of, what, two millennia? The number of women who would have been burned alive in this practice would be in the millions. It's no accident that the scripture tells us that the evil one is a murderer and a liar. The care of older women. We in a manner that wants to provide a contrast to that. Another more recent example of what we're talking about, and I think it may help pull it together. Anyone ever hear of the phrase, Action T4? Okay, Action T4 was the policy, the practice used in Adolf Hitler's Germany when they wanted to systematically euthanize many of whom who were old, but the primary characteristic was that due to sometimes an injury sustained in war, it might be due to a congenital birth defect, they were not able to economically produce. They were not able to economically provide. The term that was used to describe them was useless eaters useless eaters they were consuming they were not producing as a result of that they were euthanized we could go on we could list more and more but you get the point we are to shine as lights in contrast to that ongoing tendency in pagan cultures and it is consistent with the overall ministry of the church the care of the older among us is consistent with the overall ministry of the church one of the things we should never lose sight of Christ is on the cross he's he down he sees his mother He also sees one of the few, if not the only, disciple who was close enough to his cross at the time for him to communicate with. He looks at John and he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And with that, he told he needed to receive Mary, his mother, into his home. As best we can tell from the scripture, he did exactly that. We don't know how long she lived after that. We don't know how that fully interacted with his ongoing ministry within the church. But we do know that it was part of his ministry within the church. Titus 2, 1 through 8, describes four groups within the church. We have older men. We often overlook what the scripture tells older men to be. We shouldn't. Older women, younger men, and younger women. And the overriding theme that comes through when you look at that passage carefully, and I would urge each of you to do this. i been reading the book of Brad, uh, so this may be something of a review. The overriding concern is that we as a church do not do anything that would compromise our witness for Christ to an onlooking world. It's part of our ongoing responsibility, our ministry to the world, our ministry as the body of Christ. Deuteronomy 4 9. Rather than me paraphrase it, let me see if I can get over there very quickly. Deuteronomy 4.9, I've been wrestling with how to live this out. We don't think about this too much, and to some degree, it's difficult. Moses has reviewed the interaction that he has had with his people. The importance of the written word of God. You shall not add to it or take from it. And then he goes on in verse nine. He says, "Only take care and keep your soul diligently, like you have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children." Now, if it stopped there, we would be comfortable. We understand the importance of that. Deuteronomy 6, teach these to your children while you're walking, while you're sitting down eating dinner at night during the daytime. Teach these things to your children. But it doesn't stop there. And your children's children, whoa, we often don't think about this. Those of you who like myself have the privilege of being grandparents, and it's a joy. An incredible joy. Rodney and Glenna have just started realizing this. Do our grandchildren know that we love Christ, that we honor Him, that we honor His Word? Okay? That in of itself may be enough motivation for us to bring in grandma when she's old or grandpa. I when it's needed, can know the passion of Grandpa for Christ. Okay. A number of years ago, there was an article in Grace Today. I think it may have been written by Dr. MacArthur himself. He says the church is not the way it attracts the young, but the way it ministers to the old. When we lose sight of that, the result of that kind of ecclesiology is the disappearance of gray hair in the pews. Old age has been minimized. Aging saints are undervalued and underappreciated, and so they vanish from the scene. As a result, the church never gets the privilege of caring for its congregation as they age. They never get the honor of learning how to die in the Lord. How many of us have a clue as to what that is like? They never get the joy of learning the compassion that comes from ministering to families during their greatest time of need. Again, he goes on to say, the reason the sign of a healthy church is not seen in how it attracts the young, and there's nothing wrong with attracting the young we want as many young families as many young children to be with us as is absolutely possible but it goes on to say the sign of a healthy church is seen in how it ministers to the old and that is because the true estimation of health in the church is ultimately not in its flair in its care and not in its flair so we have the importance of being part of the overall ministry of the church. You have the quote in front of you right now if you want to take a picture of it. Now, how do we apply it? What do we do with all of this? First of all, and this goes back to uh, Mark 7, we're at liberty to ignore any of this. It is a false piety that says, gee, Dad, I'd like to help, but everything I could use I've already given to the church. Wait a minute. We figure out how to balance the two. We are not at liberty to ignore the needs of our older parents. Now, the balance point is that the vision for be implemented in the same way in all situations. The basic principle is case by case evaluation. We have to ask some questions. How much care is needed? Is the older relative 65 years old or 85 years old? There's a huge difference in the capability of an individual at the younger age of 65 and at the older age of 85 or, in some cases, 94. How much care is needed? Don't smother the older relative with more care than is needed, okay? Give him the credit for having some independence, some capability, some ongoing ability. No more than is needed. Do they have physical and mental capability? Are they able to do their financial affairs or not? Able to still shop for themselves? Maybe they might need someone to go with them, and maybe they can still do it independently. But do an independent individual case-by-case evaluation. Another question that has to be addressed as part of that, do they have independent or resources? Paul writes this passage at a time when there were no pensions. Social security did not exist the norm was what we read of when we consider Naomi in the book of Ruth it was by herself without any ability to earn an ongoing income without any resource so we have to look at we have to evaluate and apply in our modern time does that older relative have independent financial resources or do they need financial help we have to look at it and do what we can trusting god to provide in those circumstances. The question that also has to be addressed when there is a need, where and by whom should that care be provided? Now, for those of you who have relatives that could be brought into your home wisely, it can provide a tremendous opportunity. blessing, or so I'm told. (laughs) Some of you, like myself, uh, may have faced situations where if you brought in that older relative, it would be a recipe for disaster. Okay? What things am I talking about in this? What would prompt you Arrange for that relative in some other location. First of all, is specialized medical care needed? The kind of medical care that an older relative may need may be far beyond what you would be able to provide in your own home. You have to consider the possibility. It may, it may not be. Another aspect to be... To avoid interference with family or marital responsibilities. In our Alzheimer's support ministry, we were dealing with a question once, one of the uh, uh, faithful wives of an individual who was going through through Alzheimer's. She was also dealing with the challenge of taking care of her elderly mom and dad. And she says, what do I do? What takes priority? How do I balance this? And we had to point out to her, biblically, your priority is your husband and your children. That does not mean you neglect mom and dad. It does mean that that care needs to be provided with proper priorities. Okay? And she was wisely able to balance that out. They, in fact, lived near her, I believe, uh, across the street, if I remember correctly. Finally, to avoid the impact on the family of ungodly character. Um, Near the end of her life, we had to deal with uh, the problem of a relative of ours uh, before she passed away from Alzheimer's. She went into a hospital elevator once and proceeded to punch out the nurse that was accompanying her. Very belligerent, very uh, prone to inappropriate outbursts of anger at times. Uh, Had we brought her into our home, we both knew and totally correctly that this would have been a recipe for disaster. The Lord allowed us to find an appropriate place for her where she spent, I think, the last... Uh, several months of her life, we neglect her. We did arrange to find a place where she could stay. And it was, in fact, uh, taken care of by the Social Security that she had coming in. Okay. But wisdom has to be taken into account in deciding, do you bring that person into your home? Or do you find some other location? should there necessarily be a change in vocation or ministry you quit your job as a missionary on the field as a pastor in a particular location and move across the country so that you can take care of mom or dad the first question to ask is it necessary is that kind of care what is needed Sometimes it has to be some very calm, hard-nosed, loving thought given to the question of necessity. Can appropriate care be otherwise maintained or provided? Now, the conclusion may be that, no, we really can't delegate that to somebody else. We have to be there, and we will respect that. More than likely, however... And more often than not, the case, with careful thought, ongoing communication, that care can be provided for in a manner that would allow the individual to be able to continue in ministry, okay? Now, thank you for What do we do do with this? This is reflection for thought, maybe even a call for some of us for planning. Let's think this through in advance before we get there. We didn't do that before we faced the challenge, and in retrospect, we wished we had. If there is, on self-examination, a case for legitimate guilt, biblically warranted guilt, 1 John 1, nine: if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We repent, we confess, and we've moved forward. I suspect that that is not the case uh, for most of us here. Knowing how well have been taught, how well they live out the ongoing love of Christ, my suspicion is that where we walk away from this is a phrase that appears twice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I used this a couple of weeks ago. Again, I think it's appropriate here. Paul writes, excel still more. Been doing well? Keep at it. Excel still more. Finally then, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 4.1, we request, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. Perhaps with sharpened focus as to what we need to be doing. Perhaps with greater Intensity, understanding the 10 motivations that we've talked about this more this morning. Excel still more. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you minister to us, you communicate to us through the written word, the way the Holy Spirit enlivens it in our understanding and helps us to understand how to apply it. Father, I pray for each family here that they would, in fact, excel still more in all of this appropriate. Content.